0: Today's scripture is Acts four twenty three through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Let me invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Acts is where we are. As you turn there, let me give you a little heads up. One of the things that always bothered me when a speaker would come, speak, and then leave right away. I hate that. I don't know why it bothers me so much. Let me tell you what I'm going to do today. As soon as I'm done, I'm out of here. Uh, and I apologize for that. I want to make you aware of it. Uh, I'm having a birthday celebration with my daughters. My birthday is in November, so you've missed it. But they gave me a gift that is used early this afternoon. So i got to get back to Gilbert, change clothes, and be ready for them. And so I've got to leave. And that probably didn't mean anything to you, but it means a ton to me, because that would bug me if I was you. So don't let it bug you. Uh, But turn to the book of Acts, and I have as an assignment today, Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 37. And verse 23 reads, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, that would be their companions, heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the and all that's in them." Now if you just parachute it in today, this is your first time here, or you haven't been here in a while, you parachute right into the middle of action. You see it in verse 23, when they had been released. Well, who's the they? Released from what? Why were they taken captive? It's like one of those continuing stories remember the book we're studying is called The Book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is the full title. It's an action book. It's continually moving. In fact, there's a whole organization that was founded, I don't know, a decade ago called Acts 29. And you notice in the book of Acts, there's 28 chapters, In Acts 29, the name was the implication is we're still writing this book. We're living this out today. So if you come in, you're going, wow, last week was like a cliffhanger. Uh, I have three things that I like a lot. Sports, politics, and television. That's my trifecta. My wife has three things she doesn't like: sports, politics and television. She has a stupid idea well, that's not fair. She has a strange idea that sports are to be yours to participate in, a, not watch them. So about three weeks ago, a friend of hers said, there's this thing called a Spartan race. I'd, I'd never heard of them. Have you heard of them? And and so she came home and she said, a friend invited me to do a Spartan race. I think I'll do it. I said, okay, it sounds hard to me. What is it? And she told me, you know, and you run through this and climb over this wall and, and carry a bucket of rocks and and dive through mud under electric and I said, well, I don't know. That sounds like a pay-per-view event to me. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. So she went and did that. Well, let me tell you, I wouldn't do that in a million years. But I got her watching television a little bit, and we binge watch. So we'll take a series, like we just finished Blue Bloods, which is kind of stand-alone. But if you take something like 24 and you're binge watching this, this thing ends and you're all riled and you're ready to go. To think you had to wait another week, it'd be a killer. Well, we're in the middle of that. As we teach the book of Acts, we're teaching these individual stories that oftentimes one leads to the next to lead to the next. So what I want to do is... Go all the way back to chapter 1, and have you see that we're seeing the key verse in the book. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's the story that's being told from that moment until Jesus comes again. I always meet these super religious people that have a theme verse for their life. And I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not making fun of that, by the way. If you have one, good for you, buddy. Um, but I don't. I can't, I, I mean, but if God wrote a theme verse for you, it's Acts 1 8. You'll get power so you can be a witness. And that's what the book of Acts is about as he continues to write it today. So we saw in chapter 2, I want to get you up to speed. We saw in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Peter, in the midst of this, responds. The world's watching the church. We're told in in verse 12 of chapter 2, they were amazed and perplexed. They said, what is it? In chapter 2, verse 14, Peter stands and delivers this sermon. And chapter 2, verse 22, 23, 24, are, are the centerpiece of this sermon. Interesting to me, maybe as one who teaches, virtually every sermon in the book of Acts has these elements to it. The death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the so what to that. So he says in verse 22, listen Jesus, the one who's attested to you, he's the one that you knew. You saw him by miracles and wonders and signs performed in your midst. He's the man who was turned over, delivered up by the foreknowledge of God, nailed to the cross. God raised him again and put an end to the agony of death. That was that message. That's the gospel. That's the Christian message. We believe that fundamental thing. What makes us Christians is and very important now. I've got, uh, let me check, because they give me a piece of tape. 11.40 I stop. So I've got
0: whatever that is.
1: It doesn't matter. We won't stop at 11.40, but no. 11.40, 11.45. Right, so I've got 20 minutes. Okay? So all you've got to do is handle this for 20 minutes. What makes us Christians is not what we do, but what we believe. Now, what we believe will affect what we do. But somebody will say, "Oh, do you know Bob? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Tell me about him. He's a good Christian man. What does that mean? Well, he feeds hungry people. Uh, he goes down on Thanksgiving and works in a soup kitchen. He's good to his neighbors. Wait, 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 wait. Buddhists do that. Secular humanists do that. What makes us Christians is we believe Jesus died, not randomly, but for a reason, for, and I I don't like the for your sin. And then Jesus rose again. This is a big deal. And if you believe that, you're one of his kids. If you don't, you aren't. And that's Peter's message here. We're going to come back to it again. Look what happens. The preaching is so effective. Chapter 2, verse 37, they heard this. They pierced their heart. They're convicted by that. Maybe already some of you are going, Whoa, this this is getting in my grill a little bit. What do I do with this? Well the answer is repent. Turn from your way. And they did, and that day, I love this, that day 3000 people were saved. And what did they do? Acts 2:42. They became the church. They did some version of this. There's the apostles teaching. There's communion. There's eating, there's prayer, there's community. When the church looks like that, here's what happens. Acts 2.47, they're praising God, they're having favor with all the people, and the Lord is adding to their number day by day. Get the connection, And I feel like that's my job today, is trying to connect this thread all the way through. They were being witnesses. When you live a life driven by love of Christ, propelled by desire to serve him, the world's going to look at you, and they're going to look and see something, very important now, not something odd, but something different. They're going to look at you and say, well, I don't love like that. I don't care for that. That's what made the first century church compelling. The world would look at him and say, who in their right mind serves like that? Who's humble like that? When Paul, I've always found this to be a fascinating fact. When Paul began to write about humility in all of Greek language, there was not a word for humility. That's how little value there was on that quality. Yet I think it's essential for us as Christians to be humble and to love. And it ignites the people around you. I, I, I was listening to one of the coaches during football this year, and he said, he told his players, we're going to win this game. You know why? Uh, no, coach, why? Why? because we love each other. That's how powerful this is in every human relationship. When you get to Acts chapter 3, there's an incident. Peter and John are going to the temple for prayer time, and there's a a man there who's been lame since birth, and he asks them, for, for, for what beggars do. He's asking for dough, and they said, no, we don't have any of that. We'll give you something bigger. Here, stand up and walk. And, and we're told that the man began to walk. And, and verse 8 of chapter 3, he began to leap, and he began to praise God. And it's another teaching moment for Peter. And he's got these people. And look at his message. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Jesus Christ. And look at this. Here it is again. The one you delivered. The one you disowned. The one you asked to be murdered. And you were witnesses to all of this. You saw it. The one who rose again from the dead. What do I do with that? Verse 19, same message. Repent. Repent that your sins may be wiped away, that you might be saved. I I know I said it when I was here two weeks ago, and I'm sure I'll say it two weeks from now, because I say it in every sermon, every time I preach it. Our fundamental problem is sin. It's not economics, it's not education, it's not that I'm not taller, I wish I was, or thinner, I wish I was. My fundamental problem is sin. What's missing in your life is sin. What's wrong with you is sin, and the only solution for that is Jesus. Now, we got two groups of people in this room right now. I'd love to separate you physically, but that would be really intimidating. we got those that know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and those that don't. If you're in that second group, you don't know him. You're here maybe because somebody said, come to church and I'll buy you lunch. You're here out of curiosity. You're here because there's something missing. I can tell you what's missing. Now, I know your objection. You don't even know me. I don't need to know you. I can tell you what's missing. Jesus. Your problem is sin, and the solution is Jesus. Look at chapter four, and it's where we left off last week. While Peter's preaching this, the Jewish leaders, you see them listed verse four verse one of chapter four. The priests, captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, they're disturbed because they're teaching people what's disturbing them. Well, there it is in verse two. Do you start to see a theme? The death and resurrection of Jesus. So they arrest him. They lay hands on him. They say, how do you do this? Look at Peter's answer, verse 3. It's for Acts chapter 1, verse 8, being lived out again. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. What do they do? They give testimony. They're saying, do you have us in here for healing that guy? That can't be a bad thing, right? Uh, Guilty as charged. We healed him, And, and that's irrefutable. You saw it. But if your problem is the message, there's not much we can do. Chapter 4, verse 12. I want to hang on this a minute. And there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which me may be saved. Now, word saved kind of old-fashioned maybe. It means delivered or rescued. It it means I come into the world separated from God, not in union with him. And I fight that, and I push that back. I make up my own God. The French philosopher Voltaire said, God made man in his own image, and man has been returning the favor ever since. So have you ever had that experience where you're talking to somebody, and you start to talk about Jesus? You started talking about God, spiritual things. Everybody's pretty much, everybody's okay with spiritual things. They're even okay with God if you don't define it. So you start talking about God, the God you find in the Bible, and your friend says, key word now, my God would never do that. What did they just tell you? They made their own God up. We have to come to grips to that. That we're lost, and Jesus says, but the only way to me is through me. I know, I, I trust me, I know the culture we live in. All-inclusive, broad, easy way. Christianity is not broad and easy. It's very narrow. And it's very exclusive. And I didn't make it that way. Jesus did. John fourteen six. I am the way, definite article, the way there isn't any other, the truth there isn't any other, the life there isn't any other. We get this sense that somehow narrow-minded and exclusive is bad. That's not true. Sandy just told me that uh, we are going to a conference uh, in May. And I think, it's, I think it's in Pasadena. So we're flying to Burbank. Don't know the airline. I don't care. I, I know this. Here's what I want. I want a narrow-minded pilot. I, I don't want an open-minded pilot. I don't want one that taxis out and the tower goes, uh, Flight ABC to Pasadena? Take runway 3. Uh, roger that. I don't like runway three. I'm headed over to runway one. And then full throttle up, and up he goes. And it goes, uh, tower, vector, flight uh, ABC, vector 1475. I don't have any idea what I'm saying, by the way. I'm making this up. Vector 1475. Roger that. I don't like that vector. And he makes his whole way up, and now he's getting ready to land. And he said, you know what? Every time we land, we land wheels down. That's so narrow. We're going to do top-down landing. We all came into the world one way, and it was narrow, and it was tough. I don't remember it, but I have watched two of these. It's narrow, and it's hard. Finding salvation, guys, is narrow and hard. There's only one way. And Jesus says, It's me. It's me or nothing else. Now remember, they're being judged by these Jewish leaders, and they look at them in verse 13 of chapter 4, and they see they're confident. And they see two things they know about them. They're uneducated. They're not trained. And and they're untrained, meaning they have no authority. And they're struck by their poise. And then they said this. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Jesus. Well, this is so easy. If you're up here, it gets really easy at this point, because I just flip it, and I ask you this. Are the people in your life amazed by you? And do they realize you've been with Jesus? Do they look at you and see Jesus? Part of how you know that they're starting to see Jesus, and some of you, i guarantee you have experienced it, is they're starting to move away from you. You're losing some of the old friends. It's not you. They like you. Here's what they don't like, and this is really cool. They don't like the Jesus they see in you. This is not an extraordinary life. This is to be the normal Christian life. If you say Jesus is Lord and Savior... I should see it. You'll change. And this is just a fact. I I don't know if you know this, but the Oxford Dictionary selected for the word of the year for 2016 post-truth. Did you know that? And they define it this way. We're now affected not by the facts, but by what we feel. Jesus comes along and says, there's all kinds of feeling here, but it's going to come when you deal with the fact of the resurrection. It's a fact. It's indisputable. It's unchangeable. There's fact. Oh, here you go. Two plus two is... Boy, I didn't think that one was that hard. Okay? (laughs) Okay. We must have a ton of U of A people here this morning. So let's, let's do it again. Two plus two is? Five. Yeah. Four. Well, but I feel like it should be six. I don't care. I've got a grandkids that are just in first grade, kindergarten, and they're starting to do this. And they'll come home and there'll be questions that are marked wrong. If if, if you put two plus two is five, they're gonna mark it wrong. Can you imagine standing up to teacher and say, who are you to say it's wrong? Two plus two is four. Jesus is the only way. That's fact. Now that doesn't give you a license to be hard and brash, even slamming hands. It's the most loving thing I can say to somebody. You're a sinner. Jesus saved you. If you believe it, you're saved. If not, you are wrong. Jesus is the only way. And they're released. And they go and they tell their companions. They tell the church, here's what happened. They tell them that story, but with an eyewitness account and the power that comes with an eyewitness account. And what do they do? They praise God for his sovereignty, for who he really is. Do you see it in chapter four, verse 25? I'm sorry, verse 24. You're the God who made heaven and earth, the sea, everything in it. Daniel says, you raise up kings, you put them down. Everything, and I got to stop in nine seconds. Not going to make it. Everything that happens in your life is either caused by or allowed by God. Now, Now, let that... This kind of crockpot that baby a little bit. Everything in your life is either caused by or allowed by God. If that's not true, He's not God. Psalm 23, that great old psalm that we ignore now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the paraphrases says it this way The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Now, immediately, I want to push back and say, well, wait a minute. I need this. I need this. I need this. He said, no. In me, you have everything you need for right now. You have everything you're ever going to need. This is a big idea. So let's close with it. God is bigger than everything you don't have. So, I don't have that scholarship. I don't have that relationship. I don't have that job. I, I don't have that sweet past that I love. God's bigger than that. He's bigger than everything you have, and here's the other side, He's bigger than everything you don't have. He's bigger than everything you have. He, he he he's bigger than that sickness he's bigger than that broken past he He's bigger than that tough relationship that you're in. This is God. listen to it again. the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd or the shepherd, he's your shepherd. And just like the story that we flew over, like John and Peter, like this early church, your life should be transformed. This Peter who's standing and speaking boldly is the same Peter we saw in the Gospels. If you say to most people, Word Association Peter, they'll say, er, er, er." Peter denied me. Peter denied him. Peter denied him. That's true. But his life is transformed. That Peter is now the Peter of courage, testimony, boldness. That's you. That is not unique to the Christian life. That's to be the typical Christian life. A couple of questions to think about for the next couple of minutes. Do you know Christ in a personal way? If not, will you come and speak to somebody after the service? If you do know him, are you living that transformed life? Do people look at you and recognize that you've been with Jesus? Do you declare to them the truth, the fact of Jesus' death for sin and resurrection, and that I can know him today? Think about that, will you, as the team comes to close our time here today.